What's going on, everybody? My name is Zach. I am a fourth year medical student at the Wake Forest School of Medicine, and you are listening to the Rad Ed Podcast. Let's jump right in. Okay, so then this episode, we're going to talk about the basics of the chest x-ray, the famous, the infamous chest x-ray. You will no doubt come across this at some point in your medical training, or if you're a non-medical person, um, you will have likely had one of these done at some point in your life. So let's jump right in. So the indications for a chest x-ray, when do we order this? The the answer is it's broad. There are a broad number of reasons that we order chest x-rays, ruling out respiratory disease, things like pneumonia, pneumothorax, uh, cardiac disease, tube positioning. So if someone's intubated or has a gastric tube, we can confirm position. And then traumas, looking at the bones, ribs, clavicle, spine. So there are, there are a number of reasons to get a chest x-ray. And we will talk more about specific findings on chest x-rays in this series, but this episode will just serve as the basics. So we're going to talk about what makes a good chest x-ray and what is our approach to look at a chest x-ray. So jumping into the characteristics of a good chest x-ray, there's the mnemonic PEER, P-I-E-R, PEER, and so that stands for the P, projection, and so you have different projections of an x-ray, so when we position a patient to shoot the x-ray beam beam through them, the position of the patient can determine and change how the image will look to us. So for example, an AP or a PA image, AP meaning antero-posterior, and PA meaning posterior to anterior. And so AP is where the patient is facing the x-ray beam. So the x-ray beam is going to shoot through them and the film is behind the patient so that the front of their body will be hit with the beam first. And then PA, obviously the reverse. So they would be facing the film so that the x-ray beam would be going through their back towards their front side. We can also do lateral projections where we have the patient stand to the side. We can do a lateral decubitus where we have the patient lay down on their side. And so these different angles and positions uh, will have a big impact on how the structures look. So for example, um, if you imagine holding your cell phone up to your hand and you cut your flashlight on and shine it against the wall, you'll notice that the closer your hand is to your flashlight, the bigger your hand will appear on the wall, the bigger the shadow of your hand will appear. So it's the same thing when we do an x-ray. So on an AP view where the beam is hitting the front of the patient first, the heart will appear a little bit bigger on that AP projection because it is closer to where the beam is coming out. Now, this is not a huge difference, um, but it's it's more of a principles of understanding thing. Um, and so with AP versus PA and all these other views, AP is going to be your better view for your intubated and sick patients. And this is because a lot of these patients are bedridden in the hospital bed and they can't really sit up or stand up to the point that you can get an image behind them. And so the AP image will typically be used in those settings. And it's important to mention on the topic of projection, two views is key. So getting an anterior, posterior, or posterior anterior along with a lateral is key in order to be able to localize something because you might see something on the frontal view that you know, you can tell it's in the right lung, but you can't tell is it in the anterior, the posterior. And so the lateral view is really key for that. The next thing in the peer mnemonic for characteristics of a good chest x-ray, exposure. So we talked about projection. The next one is, oh, excuse me, inspiration. So we have projection, inspiration, and that's when they take a chest x-ray, you want the patient to fully inspire and 
the way that you'll know that you have full enough inspiration to see the lung tissue is do you see about eight to nine ribs? Do you see about eight to nine posterior ribs? And so if they aren't getting a big enough deep breath, things can look crowded and can mimic things like pneumonias, pneumothoraces, for example. And so the next one, the next letter is exposure. So projection, inspiration, exposure. This is how well the x-ray beams are penetrating the patient. And so if you have too much x-ray penetration, things will look very dark. And if you have too little, things will look very bright and fuzzy. And so one way to tell if you have great exposure is, can you see the spine through the heart? You should be able to see the thoracic spine very clearly defined through the heart. The next part of this mnemonic is rotation. And so... You know, a patient should be standing square perpendicular to the x-ray beam with the line of their shoulders. If they're rotated to the left or right, you can tell that by looking at the relationship between the clavicles and the spinous processes on the thoracic vertebrae. And so the, those, the tips of the clavicles, the medial tips of the clavicles, should be equidistant from that spinous process. And that makes sense, right? Because if they're standing straight on, there's equal distance there. But if the patient is rotated too far to the left or right, then one clavicle may appear as if it's a little bit closer to that spinous process. And then the last uh, part of, that you can throw on, so peer, that's projection, inspiration, exposure, and rotation. But also the angle of the patient can be important. So the, the patient should be standing upright, 90 degrees perpendicular. But sometimes if a patient is angled back in the bed or if the x-ray beam is being angled upwards, that can give you what's called an apical lordotic view. And so that, that will cause the x-ray beam to shoot upwards rather than perfectly 90 degrees at the patient. And that can just make your anterior structures look a little bit more superior than they normally are. And so a way to check that is to look at the clavicles and are they above the first rib? If they're above the first rib, then that's a good sign that maybe your x-ray beam is angled upwards a little bit. So that's the characteristics of a good chest x-ray, peer, projection, inspiration, exposure, rotation, and the angle of the patient. Now, here's our systematic approach. So when you sit down to read a chest x-ray, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Well, there's probably some wrong ways to do it, but the, there's no gold standard right way. It's really just about developing a systematic way to where you can do it every single time consistently the same and not miss things. And so the first thing with any approach is you want to start by just verifying the patient information and the image quality. So using that peer and angle mnemonic that we just mentioned. And so verify the patient's date of birth, make sure we got the right image, um, and then check your positioning, check your projection, exposure, rotation, angle, make sure that you have an adequate image, and then you can move on to your approach. And so a common approach is, you've probably heard the in emergency medicine, the ABCDE mnemonic, so airway, breathing, circulation, disability, meaning bones, and E, everything else. Some people use that for a chest x-ray, but there's a little bit um, more of a comprehensive one out there, and that is the approach of tubes plus ABCDEFGHI. I know that sounds like a lot, but tubes plus ABCDEFGHI, that can give you a pretty comprehensive systematic approach to the chest x-ray. And so breaking that down in a little bit more detail, Tubes, that just means you first look at your tubes, lines, drains, make sure they're positioned correctly, and we'll have episodes on this in the future. And then you can move into your A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. And so what do those stand for? So after you look at your tubes, lines, and drains, you start with A, airway. So you just follow the trachea down, make sure it's midline, look at it, the carina, and then it branches into your um, primary bronchi. And then B is going to be your bones. And so you're going to follow the outlines of all the bones viewed in the 
radiographs are looking at your ribs, looking at the clavicles, and don't forget to look at the humerus if they are visualized in in the radiograph, um, as well as the vertebrae. And then C will be cardiac. So look at the heart silhouette and border. The heart should be around or less than 50% the diameter of the chest. And then D would be diaphragm. So take a look at the right and left diaphragms. Sometimes the right is is usually slightly higher due to the big liver underneath it. <clears throat> but you can also look and see, are the diaphragms flattened? And that could give you a sense of, you know, this chest is maybe hyperinflated, um, suggesting maybe some obstructive disease. And then your E is going to stand for effusions or extrathoracic tissues. So look at the costophrenic angles. This is the angle between the lateral border of the rib cage and chest wall and the angle of the diaphragm. And this is a good place to look for fluid or effusions. So when fluid builds up in the lungs, we call this a plural effusion. And then you want to check lateral films to help with this as well. And the second E for extra thoracic tissues, you're going to look at, you know, all your um, subcutaneous tissues, muscle, things like that. Look for any swelling, subcutaneous air. And then moving to the F for fields, fissures, and foreign bodies. So you're going to check the lung fields, look for any opacities, masses, pneumothoraces, pneumonias, look at the vessel markings, and then look at your major and minor fissures, assess for any foreign bodies, things like wires from previous surgeries, And then your G, great vessels and gastric bubble. So follow the path of the aorta, check out the pulmonary arteries and veins and where they would be. And then make sure you look for your gastric bubble under the left hemidiaphragm, sometimes not visualized. And then moving on to H, hilum and mediastinum. Those kind of rhyme, hilum, mediastinum. So look at the hyla. Um, Are they prominent, which should suggest maybe some like sarcoid, bilateral, um, hilar lymphadenopathy, is that present? Are there any masses? And you can also check for mediastinal widening. And so as a note here, sometimes you can see the thymus in children, and it looks very enlarged. It can maybe make you think that there's a mass or enlarged mediastinum, so just keep that in mind. That can be normal in kids. And then the last letter, I. What is your impression or overall conclusion of what is going on? And so I know that's a lot. You may have to listen to this again. um, But remember the characteristics of a good chest X-ray, peer, and then your approach, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I, and tubes. So first look at the tubes, lines, drains, and then airway, bones, cardiac, diaphragm, effusions, and extrathoracic tissues, fields, fissures, and foreign bodies, great vessels and gastric bubble, hilum and mediastinum, and then your impression. If you can develop that approach down and practice it a few times, that should give you a pretty solid approach for looking at a chest x-ray. And as we build our knowledge on the chest x-ray in these future episodes, you'll be able to actually identify and recognize different abnormalities. So hope this episode was helpful. Um, we have references in the show notes. Remember, you can find those at listennotes.com. And we will see you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening.